in the name of your son. Amen. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, just so you know, there's an old saying that says people who really love Jesus come to church on Memorial Day weekend. So <laughs> for those of you that are here today, I'm so glad you love Jesus. Um, just, just, <laughs> just for those that aren't here today, we hope you get right. Facebook them, all right? Um, just real quick, uh, some of you may be aware of this because of an email um, blast that went out last week, but uh, our great, beautiful, talented worship leader, Megan, uh, is being called by God to take a time, some time off, <clears throat> and so she will be, her last Sunday leading worship at, at the Garden will be at the end of June. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Now, don't say bye to her today, because right after this, she has to run right to Orlando to be with her family for Disney World. So don't say bye to her today, because <clears throat> she's going to go say hi to Mickey. But over the next few weeks, encourage her, email, text, phone call, whatever. Uh, she's a very talented, talented lady who does a great job of shepherding us through music, and she'll be missed. So. Now, there's a... Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden, and uh, we're continuing our series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, before we get started today, I want to make sure that you understand what the goals are today. I don't have a lot of humorous stuff in this message, not a lot of entertaining things. You're just going to really have to dial in and pay attention, old school, all right? Um, there's a lot of talk in Christianity about joy. Just be honest with me. Most of you really don't even know what it is, do you? I mean, can you really define it? <clears throat> do you think you know exactly what? And do you ever say you have it, but you're not really even sure if you know what it looks like? Is it emotional? Is it mental? Is it physical? I mean, for real, what is joy? So I basically have two goals for us today in this uh, second in the series of 2 Corinthians. The two goals, first of all, I want to help you define what joy is. I want you to be able to leave with a tangible, working definition of joy. So you can stop guessing whether or not you have it, or guessing if you understand it. That's the first thing. The second goal is I want to change the way we look at our church business, the business of church. Because I believe a lot of times our church business hinders joy, and it shouldn't be that way. So with that in mind, let's look at the passage today. I'm looking, I broke the passage up a little bit. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and then we're going to look at verse 23 through chapter 2, verse 4. So we're going to span over two chapters in this, and so, and I cut out a part in the middle just for the sake of time. So let's look at the first part of this passage. <clears throat> and this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Remember, he had just got finished last week. We talked about suffering. Here's what he says. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. In other words, all the stuff that's been going on, the suffering that I had had, the suffering you had had, the people that were attacking me, I really wanted to come see you so that you could experience grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. He wanted to hit them twice. And have you send me on my way to Judea? Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh? 
ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. So in other words, he's really struggling. He really wants to see them. Then we skip to verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. The reason he didn't go, it was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Then we go to the 2 Corinthians chapter 2 part. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? In other words, you are such a huge source of my joy. If I cause you pain, it's going to make my joy suffer. And so I wrote as I did. In other words, I wrote 1 Corinthians as what I did. So that when, when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. In other words, so I wrote a letter instead of visiting so that my big source of joy, you, would not be pained by me. Because I recognize that my joy is hinged upon your joy. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and pain and anguish of my heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. You remember what 1 Corinthians was. It was a spanking. And so when Paul wrote it, he wasn't writing it out of arrogance. He wasn't writing it out of anger. He was writing it out of love and joy because he so desperately wanted to be there and set them straight on the gospel, set them straight on his apostleship, set them straight on tongues and healing, and, and set them straight on love, and set them straight on sexual immorality. He wanted to do all these things because he loved them so much. He says, when I wrote 1 Corinthians, I wrote it in tears, crying and in pain. <clears throat> Pretty powerful passage. So like we do in the garden, we're going to look at three applications of this scripture. First, we're going to look at the history. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? What Paul does here is he puts the Corinthians first. You understand, Paul desperately wanted to visit them again. And, you know, there's a good reason why he wanted to go there, because there were several things going on besides the fact that the Corinthian church was in a horrible state of immorality and bad teaching and bad management. It was in disarray. People were attacking Paul's credibility. He isn't really an apostle. You don't got to listen to that Paul guy. He says he's an apostle, but he has no authority. People were attacking him. Like in this town, he knows that people are saying, you don't got to listen to this guy. He's a moron. He's a liar. Forget Paul. He's not an apostle. I mean, I can't imagine, like, if I knew that during the week you guys were trashing me, oh, I would not write a letter. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> yeah, I would not text either. I, this would be in person. So the second thing, they're attacking Paul's message. The gospel isn't Jesus alone. Don't listen to Paul. If you just trust in Jesus, you're not going to have salvation. And he knew that people were attacking their faith, the Corinthian faith. You need to be Jewish to be saved. That's what they're telling them. Or you need to mix our pagan religion with your Christian religion to be saved. 
or you need to worship with us in these immoral worship services that we have that are centered around sexual immorality. You need to do that to be saved. And so Paul knows they're attacking him, they're attacking the gospel, and they're attacking the faith of the Corinthians. It was a classic, don't make me come down there moment. I mean, for me, I don't think I could have had the discipline to recognize that I needed to stay away. But Paul knew I want to go there so badly to set things straight, but I can't do it because the last time I was there, they tried to kill me. And the last time I was there, they really gave the Corinthians a hard time. They persecuted them. They persecuted me. There was a big uprising in the town, and I barely escaped with my life. If I go there again, I could cause more damage than good. So Paul puts his church plans on the back burner. He knew the commotion, based on what had happened before, okay, could very well be detrimental and distracting. In essence, he does two things by this. This is pretty amazing, right? I mean, because Paul is not a gentle dandelion flower. He's very vocal. He put their joy before his desires. He had a desire to be with them and to defend himself against these attacks, and that was tough. You know what else he does? He puts their joy before his ministry plans. He knows what he wants to do. This is a church that he planted, he started. He's got to go back and set things straight, but he recognizes, I want to be there so bad, but it's not good, so I need to adjust my church business. So he determines the best course of action is to write a letter instead of a visit. So that's the history. Pretty intense, right? I mean, can you imagine how motivated Paul would have been to get over to Corinth? So let's look at the theology side of this. Paul gets some wisdom from God. And it's pretty important, I think. So what does God give Paul? God gives Paul a few things. First of all, wisdom that a letter was better for them than a visit. This is, this is a supernatural intervention in Paul's emotions, in Paul's mental makeup. This is a supernatural interven- intervention into Paul's planning where God says, I know you want to go there, but it's better if you write a letter. And think about this. How benefited have we been? by that letter. Could you imagine if 1 Corinthians, what if 2 Corinthians were 1 Corinthians? And we didn't have any 1 Corinthians. So God's wisdom he gave Paul not only had a huge effect on Corinth, it's affected the church for 2,000 years. That's awesome. Isn't that a great example of God making sure all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose? Isn't that awesome? You know what else God gave Paul? He gave him the ability to see that he needed to put them first over even his good desire to be with them. It was good for him to want to be with the Corinthians. But God gives him the ability to say, no, as much as I want to be there, it is better to put them first instead of me. And then God gives him something else. He gives him wisdom. He gives him ability to see, to put them first. But then he gives him insight to see the joy 
of ministry was in two things. It was in their welfare, not his desire to be with them. Right? Because him being with them would have put their welfare at risk. It was also, he recognizes that his source of joy is in their joy, not his agenda, not his church business. Think about that for a minute. His joy is in their joy, not his church business. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 and 3. For if I, because of you, for, for if I, supposed to be cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. So as much as I wanted to be there, I recognized if I came, that my plans, my intentions would cause you pain. And if I cause you pain, then I lose out on joy because I recognize that my joy is very much hinged on your joy. That's good stuff, right? So let's look at the devotional part of this. Making joy the priority. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you, last week I gave you a, a supernatural term, which was, I mean, a, a, a theological term called divine comfort. I'm going to give you a new theological term today about joy, and it is this. A full supernatural means not from you, from God, satisfaction with God's presence over anything else. That's a working, tangible definition of joy. A full, unhuman not naturally occurring, by the way. A full, supernatural satisfaction with God's presence over anything else. That's a working definition of joy. And there are two ingredients for joy. And those ingredients are this. Learning to find our greatest pleasure in God's presence in our lives. And let me explain. Jesus is more important than anything the world or even your church can offer you. Jesus is more important than anything the world or even your church can offer you. You will not experience joy because of a great church program. You will not experience joy because of great worship music. You do not experience joy because of good preaching. I know I just said that. I can't believe it, but it's true. You will not experience joy from that. You will not experience joy from a really nice car. You will not experience, because guys, joy isn't an emotion. It is a satisfaction. That's why you can experience joy during pain. That's why you can experience joy during suffering. That's why you can experience joy during grief. That's why you can also experience joy during victory and celebration. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is not a reaction. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a satisfaction. So you find joy in God's presence in our lives because a life pursuing Jesus is far superior to any life spent pursuing the world. The second thing that you need for joy is God's presence in the lives of others. That's what Paul teaches us, is it not? He says, my joy is in the joy of you all. 
making the joy of others the number one goal in all we do as a church is crucial. Anything else, anything else church business does, if it doesn't produce and enhance the satisfaction of God's presence in the lives of others' people, if it doesn't do that, it's self-serving. And it's slipping back into trying to find satisfaction the way the world does. Philippians 1.25. This Paul wrote this to the Philippians. This is great. I did not lord over you for your faith and joy. In other words, I did not cause you to have joy through church business that I imposed upon you. But I worked with you, with you, with you, for your joy of your faith. Isn't that great? Paul says, I didn't lord, I didn't, I didn't direct joy to you. I didn't demand joy from you. I didn't produce joy. I did not present you with joy. The joy did not come from my church business, from my leadership, from my orders, from my directives. That's not where the joy came from. The joy came from the fact that I would work alongside of you with the joy of your faith, our faith. So the two ingredients are God's presence in our lives and God's presence in the lives of others. Satisfaction with that. Paul says in this verse, he has no interest in causing the business of church to be a burden that sucks the joy out of people. And I'm afraid that's what happens a lot in church these days. Let me give you some examples of areas where church business can interfere with joy. And what is joy again? It's the supernatural satisfaction with God's presence in our lives. That's joy. Okay, just get that in your mind. It's not a smile. It's not Christmas. It's satisfaction. First of all, you know what church business can do? It can corrupt our theology. When people have agendas, when people see things they want to have happen, what begins to take place is that our theology and what we teach begins to become corrupted, and that steals and hinders our joy. Church business can also distract our focus. Because when agendas come in, what begins to happen is the focus becomes what man wants and not what God wants, which is to what? Take the message of love and grace and redemption in the gospel to those who need desperately to hear it. What begins to happen when church business gets in the way of that is we begin to say, let's put that on the back burner and let's deal with what we want. That is seeking satisfaction the world's way. Can you see how it can creep into the church? You know what else church business can do? It can compromise our standards. Because, see, when, what happens is, is if church business becomes selfish, we begin to put on the side the things that get in the way of our agenda. Can you imagine if Paul had been selfish and gone to Corinth anyway? See, church business, when it is geared towards selfish desires, can corrupt our standards, our moral standards. And it can also corrupt our financial standards. It can corrupt our spending. We begin to waste money on things that really, on the surface, seem great, but really have nothing to do with the kingdom. And I struggle with this, and I'm just going to, 
I want, I, I want to figure out a way to say this without getting nine-tenths of Sarasota mad at me. Um, why, do we, why do some churches spend $300,000 a year on worship? You know that's how much they spend, right, some of these churches? Over a quarter million dollars a year. Can you see how selfish desires and agendas can get in the way of joy, spending? Oh, it can produce an emotion. It can produce a reaction. It can also generate a crowd. But is that really satisfaction? That's, an, I'm just, that's just one example. There's other ways that church agendas can corrupt our spending. But the last thing it can do, and this is the one that I think is the most dangerous, it can corrupt our love for one another. We begin to overlook people right next to us because we have church business that dominates our vision, our line of sight. Our goals can cause us to forget and overlook the person right next to you. Guys, if our church business impedes our joy, tell you what, it's time to rethink church. It's time things started getting being, get done differently. We can't let church business rob people of the ability to be satisfied to in, in enjoying God's presence because we become preoccupied with a moment. We become preoccupied with a feeling. We become preoccupied with a reaction. We become preoccupied with a crowd. We become preoccupied with these things. And what begins to happen is we begin to lose sight of the fact that our satisfaction does not come from experiences. Our satisfaction comes from the presence of God in our lives. Now listen, I'm not talking about church business when it comes to confronting sin. Those are things a church needs to do. I'm not talking about church business when it comes to making sure we're good stewards of God's money. I'm not talking about church business when we have to take care of the things that God entrusted to us, whether it's a building or instruments or equipment or people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about church business that hinders us from being supernaturally satisfied with the presence of God. Anything that shifts our focus away from God's presence and to church business. Because joy is greater than church business. When we believe our agenda for church is more important than joy, which is, of course, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God, when selfish ministry creeps in, it begins to hinder our satisfaction, our joy, and the satisfaction slash joy of others. Paul's example, frankly, is the one I think we should heed. Church business should never impact the ability for somebody to be supernaturally satisfied with the presence of God in their lives. And so basically there are a couple of things I want to share with you that in addition to Scripture, everything we do should be evaluated on, one, on, on, on a simple concept. All right, so we understand that Scripture is our foundation for what we make decisions, how we teach, how we interact for one another. Scripture is important, but there's one other thing that should be a main focus for everything we do when it comes to church business. Everything should be evaluated this way, I believe. Will it enhance joy, which is what? Satisfaction. Or will it hinder it? Will it enhance joy, 
or will it hinder it? Will it make you forget about the presence of God because you're focusing on an experience? Will it make you forget about the presence of God because you are focusing on a compromise in theology or values? Will it make you forget about the presence of God because you are so tuned into an agenda you forget the people in your church family? Can you get so laser focused on a goal that you run roughshod over people around you? This has been my biggest problem in ministry personally is I can get so laser focused, I can get so fired up and ready to go on something and get, a, get an idea moving that I can just leave people in my wake. And when that happens, I distract them from the presence of God. That's the last thing I want to do. Paul didn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Unfortunately, I do it sometimes. I don't want you to do it. I don't want to do it to you. I don't want you to do it to me. And that's why I was trying to figure out what's the best way to end this message today. I want to go back to Philippians 1.25. I love what Paul says. I didn't lord over you for your faith and joy, but I worked with you for the joy of your faith. I didn't lord over you for your faith and joy, but I worked with you for the joy of your faith. It's very poetic how he puts that, is it not? My hope today, as I said at the very beginning, is there are two things I want you to leave with. Number one, now you know what joy is. Satisfaction, supernatural satisfaction with God's presence in your life and in the lives of others, right? Because my joy is hinged upon you being satisfied and your joy is hinged upon me being satisfied. That's why we have to work together. And the second thing is, let's make sure our church business never distracts from joy.